This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It has been an eventful week internationally and locally. So time to take a step back from the headlines and dig a little deeper in our weekly news recap. There are a lot of big stories to discuss. Now to the cost of that big NASCAR takeover of Chicago's downtown. Nearly 4,000 migrants are waiting for placement in Chicago shelters, and some of them will now go to two new shelters in the West Loop. This budget helps secure the right housing with more than $250 million invested in homelessness supports. Here to break down those stories and more, A.D. Quigg, Chicago Tribune, Cook County, and Chicago government reporter. Welcome back, A.D. Thank you for having me. Long time no see. Long time no see. Also here, Lynn Sweet, Washington Bureau Chief for the Chicago Sun-Times. Great to have you in studio, Lynn. Thank you. Good to be home. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson laid out his first city budget proposal. Why don't you give us some of the main takeaways, A.D.? Oh, budget season. Yes. We love it so much. Um, so Best the big, time of year. The big number everyone needs to know, $16.6 billion. And the other thing that everyone cares about, taxes, are not going up. The mayor is essentially holding the line on property taxes, as he puts it, in this budget. He's not going to go after any of the progressive taxes that he campaigned on in this budget. So no head tax increase on employees, no financial transaction tax, no jet fuel tax, no hotel tax all spared for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one that is in motion that people should be aware of, though, is this change in the real estate transfer tax. To The proposal is basically to drop uh, the levy on properties under a million and raise them on properties over a million. Um, that Aldermen first have to decide whether to put that issue on the ballot, and then voters would get to vote on that. So we won't be seeing that in this budget proposal, but that is a tax that is like mm. in the works outside the budget. Um, onto the spending side, the mayor is starting to spend on some of these progressive promises that he made on the campaign trail. That includes piloting a couple of mental health clinics and existing public health facilities and putting toward putting money toward a new Department of Environment. This is something we heard so much we did. about during Lightfoot's administration. She created like an office of the environment, but Brandon Johnson is creating a, a Department of Environment and also funding a lot of paid youth jobs. He, he emphasized this with reporters today that uh, prior youth programs, a lot of them were internships, and these, he's like, these kids are going to be getting W-2s. Um, the overall Chicago Police Department budget is increasing, but the headcount is staying the same. Um, from what we can tell, the way positions are shifting within the department, there will be fewer budgeted sworn officers, so beat cops, but the mayor says he's making room for more detective promotions and civilian personnel who are basically going to free up um, officers on the beat to do beat work rather than doing desk jobs. I have a lot more questions about that, Mm. but that's what department hearings are for. Um, And then on the migrant situation, which I know we're going to talk a lot about, the mayor has budgeted $150 million. Now that is less than half of the costs that we're expecting in 2022 to shake out to be, and that's as volumes continue to increase uh, volumes appear to be picking up in a big way. The city's already struggled to find shelter space, places to put these proposed base camps. So we're expecting this cost to be much higher than $150 million, but this is essentially yeah. a pressure tactic to get the state and feds to help pick up more of those costs. Now, before I, I play some some sound of what the mayor himself had to say, I do want to welcome our third guest to the recap. Christian Farr is here, reporter for NBC5 Chicago. Good to see you, Christian. Hello. Sorry about being late. A little oh, traffic. You're but... just in time, <laughs> Christian. Let's hear from Mayor Johnson. Every investment in youth, education, housing, mental health, and environmental justice layered together for the long term will fulfill our promise to build a better, stronger safer Chicago. 
So Johnson called this the, quote, people's budget. I mean, what do you think the budget reveals about his plans, Christian? Um, I'm really waiting to see. <laughs> you know, there's, um, you know, we, we have a huge migrant issue that, um, you know, just the other day, and I know we're going to get into it a little bit more, um, that, that, that really there doesn't seem to be a plan um, to sort of take care of that issue. And so um, I think people are just waiting to see what Johnson's going to end up doing um, with so many issues we have in this city. Um, and uh, uh, it's, it's just, it's a wait and see kind of thing. So one thing that struck me in, in the budget talk is the rosy projection of non-property tax revenue. Uh, is that, you know, sometimes you use rosy projections mm-hmm. just to balance the budget mm-hmm. and you kind of, you can make up the number. So do you have faith, A.D., that this is that those numbers are on firm ground? Well, I asked the mayor's team about this right after the budget reveal. Um, basically, in the in the forecast, they said one number. And then in the in the budget proposal, they said revenues are going to be one hundred eighty seven million dollars higher than we thought. And I said, which revenues? And they said, basically, um, tourism based revenues. They think next year is going to be a really big year. They mentioned uh, they did not mention this, but the DNC is coming next year, as Lynn knows very well. Um, NASCAR, they're hoping to be a bigger event. Lollapalooza, they mm-hmm. are allowing more attendees. Um, they noted a bunch of big concerts here. We had Taylor Swift, we had Beyonce. So I think they're they're hoping that we're going to get to like a pre-COVID tourism return um, that's buoying a lot of this. They're also counting on some state taxes that budget watchdogs have told us these are not going to exist forever. This is essentially a one-time boom in things like corporate income tax revenues and state income tax revenues that are bolstered in a big way by inflation and would take a gigantic hit if we do have a recession. So everyone, we now have the answer on this show to Chicago's budget woes. We did it. No, yes and no, <laughs> just have, we could call it the Taylor Swift Beyonce factor. If they could do, plus, plus them, if they could come here and each do two concerts a year, Given the kind of business they drive, I'll put in a good word. They could take care of a lot of this city's uh, fiscal needs. There you have it. I guess folks. we should text both of them right now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you know, one thing in the budget that some might find frustrating: city aldermen, the mayor, and other officials—they're all getting raises. Are for you surprised? Most, for the most part, yes. There are two aldermen who opted out, from what we could tell based on city data. But okay. yes, for the most part, everyone else is taking a two point two four percent hike and that's on top of hikes last year that were closer to 10 percent and for the city's executives so the mayor the treasurer and the clerk uh, last year those boosts were close to 20 percent but that was because they hadn't had a raise since 2006. And this is just the mayor's budget proposal I want to make sure that that's clear right Right. it's not quite a done deal just yet. Correct. What comes next? Hearings we're going to have departmental hearings which usually last for like what feels like 23 hours for like two weeks straight um, and a lot of haggling in between. So aldermen are going to come and grill city officials about what these proposals are, where mm-hmm. the money is going. Um, and then they'll have about two weeks to make amendments and tweaks. And the mayor hopes to pass this budget by November 15th. I'm praying this is not one of those things that extends into Thanksgiving weekend. It probably will. Don't say that. Don't jinx it. All right. Well, something a lot of Chicagoans would like to see more money spent on is public transit. And uh, that is not something that Mayor Johnson is directly in charge of, is it, Christian? Yeah, I mean, and 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 public transit has had its own fair share of issues, right? I mean, CTA um, recently said they've got some service cuts that are going on, and so there are a lot of people who are noticing that these ghost buses and ghost trains. 
Um, yeah, you were out talking to CTA riders we, this week, weren't you? We were, and uh, a lot of them just used that term, ghost buses, ghost trains, and they said that, you know, with this blue line reconstruction that's going on in phases, um, that they've seen um, it get better, but they're not confident that it's not going to get worse. And so that's the feeling right now, and there's some advocate groups that are out there that are basically saying, look, we need a change in leadership at the top um, because the trajectory that it's going on right now they don't see it getting any better. In fact, there's a protest today in front of uh, CTA headquarters uh, by that particular group to uh, beg and plead for better service. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of complaints from people from people out there and they just feel like, you know, before the pandemic, it was better. And we just really haven't rebounded from that. And now we're in 2023. Um, and so they're just kind of waiting to see if something's going to happen. But again, those advocates say the change has to happen at the top. So I have a question. The the mayor, ha are there any uh, vacancies or appointments coming up where Brandon Johnson could put his uh, imprint on this panel? Th that I don't know, um, but um, I'm assuming that's something that people would like to see happen. They, they, they want change. There, there's got to be something that's got to happen um, because the way the, the status quo right now is just not working um, mm. for most people, at least for most commuters that we spoke to. I want to stick with transportation. We we got numbers from NASCAR this week. What did July's streetcar race deliver when it comes to revenue in this city, AD? So direct revenue, which is like NASCAR actually cutting a check to the Chicago Park District for the, the pleasure of taking over Grant Park, um, that was $620,000. So there was a base permit fee that they had to pay for actually using the park. And then as part of their agreement with the park district, um, the city was entitled to $2 per ticket and then a certain cut of food and beverage and merchandise fees. So they got their $500,000. What they got at the end of September was another check for about 120000 So that's direct. What the city spent directly um, to get prepared for the race and to actually work the race was at least $3.5 million. So a lot of that was oh. CDOT mm. money to fix up the roads for the racetrack and then Chicago police overtime, mm -hmm. which was costly. And then what we don't know yet is how much OEMC, so basically traffic control aids and like emergency management people, how much that cost. Um, so it, on its face, 3.5 million against 620,000. Now what the mayor's office and NASCAR say is that there was a, a bigger economic impact from this race. So yeah, Johnson says there's still a net profit. Here. There's still a net profit because of tax receipts um, for state and local um, government that folks staying at hotels and eating at bars and shopping in the city were paying as a result of attending this race. Um, There's also the benefit of the beautiful Chicago skyline appearing on NBC uh, for several hours straight. Um, and this is one of the most watched uh, NASCAR televised events like this in a while, which NASCAR folks told me was basically the equivalent of having three Super Bowl ads. Um, <laughs> wow. And to, to the point about whether this was like a direct fair exchange, um, the mayor said and NASCAR agreed that they will pick up those overtime costs that the city directly incurred because of NASCAR. This is something Lala Lollapalooza picks up. So basically like a slight renegotiation of the deal so that the city actually like actually breaks even in terms of mm, spending. Okay. But there's still, you know, critics of this race um, taking over the park to the extent that it does and inconveniencing folks and basically affecting businesses like right around right. Grant Park. And, and Christian, I don't want to put you on the spot here with a math question, but do those numbers sound good to you? I mean, I was pretty good at math. 
Um, I started as a <laughs> computer science engineering major before I got into journalism. Oh, nice. So, um, yeah, I'm not certain what happened. Something happened, but that that's another conversation. But, <laughs> right, right, um, right. You know, I remember talking to an alderman about this and being, he was very concerned because as we were kind of marching up to NASCAR weekend, he said the hotels weren't filled. Um, and so, you know, I'm just wondering, is it a great trade-off. I mean, it was something really exciting. I was not in Chicago when it was going on. I was in another state, but I was watching all of the rain delays <laughs> that were happening. Um, yeah, I had know. the same vantage point. I was I was out of state. <laughs> yes, which I was kind of happy about. And looking back, like, wow, right, looks but, like a mess. Yeah, I'm just wondering, are we really going to see the rate of return? But I guess, you know, look, uh, people complain about Lala, but it comes back every single year, and it seems to be beneficial for the city, although, you know, We've had our number of issues. <laughs> hotel hotel occupancy was seventy nine percent, which was considered modestly solid. Okay. So so here is where I think the uh, the the point of renegotiation comes in. Uh, the deal shouldn't depend on this mayor saying the intangibles are what's worth it. Extra sales tax, more people ate out. That's good, but that kind of goes with the reason you accepted this. Uh, proposal to have NASCAR. The the test, I think, for the uh, Johnson administration is, can you do both? That's what I think is the uh, performance question here. Negotiate, renegotiate a better deal so we're not here next year talking about uh, the, uh, the sideline rate of return, which, by the way, is said you, for any uh, enormous undertaking, we'll be here talking about what does the city get for the Democratic mm-hmm. National Convention, for right. example? But in a case of NASCAR, like in the like in music festivals or Lola, uh, you you now know what you didn't know, and mm-hmm. you could go to the table and drive a harder bargain. That's what I'll be watching for to not just see some incremental change, but to the public, they see six hundred thousand here and three and a half million here, and it's it is. Uh, a little it's time yeah. to close that gap let's shift now from nascar and the city budget to one of the mayor's other top concerns which is uh, the migrants residents are continuing to uh, to voice opposition to city plans christian tell us what's happening in austin yeah the other day there were some austin residents who have filed an injunction um to block amundsen park from being used as a migrant shelter so the proposal was and they felt like it came out of nowhere was to turn their field house into a migrant shelter, uh, bring portable restrooms in so that any kids that are having sports activities at that park can, instead of having to go inside of that building to use the restroom, those portable restrooms would be outside. Well, that whole plan got shelved, and then um, the city was going to look at uh, not this park district building, but instead um, a building that far away from there, 1900 uh, North Austin, Mm -hmm. um, which was basically a vacant building, privately owned, and they were trying to see if it was going to be able to sustain migrants inside of that building. But then the option was still left open that they may be able to come back to the field house, which is the reason why these residents filed for this temporary restraining order, which could then be used for other sites across the city where residents are not happy uh, that migrants would be coming in. But these residents are really upset because, of course, Brandon Johnson uh, lives on the west side. Right. And so they felt like they were being betrayed by him. Um, mm. They were very vocal, uh, very upset. And um, they said that seniors use this field house on a consistent basis. 
kids use this field house on a consistent basis. They have a sports program, a football program, um, where they say that a lot of their graduates end up going to college, even into the NFL. And so to strip that away from them and have migrants come in to that building um, poses a lot of safety issues. Yeah. Um, not being able to use that park district building for what it was intended for. Um, and so uh, they just feel like they've been stabbed uh, in the back um, by both the city and the park district. AD, let's jump to the West Loop because uh, there was some frustration expressed there as well, right? Yes. Yeah, so West Loop um, is slated to have now five migrant shelters. There was a city briefing this week. Uh, there were already three. The plans were to add two more with migrants arriving beginning on Wednesday and through today. Um, city officials told residents they're planning to set up those shelters at 30 North Racine and 939 West Lake. Um, this is an alderman Walter Burnett's ward. He is Mayor Brandon Johnson's vice mayor. So he's essentially a, a community emissary uh, for the mayor. And even he is telling the mayor's office that it isn't fair that his ward has so many shelters in it. Mm -hmm. um, and as Block Club reported, very few residents spoke in favor of the migrants. Some complained about a uh, lack of notice for one. Uh, some folks panhandling in the neighborhood. Um, one officer replied that it's not illegal to be poor. You can you can panhandle as long as you're not um, getting in getting in the public way. Um, and the city, in its defense, basically said I, we would love to be able to give folks more of a heads up, but even we are not getting uh, much of a heads up. Right. The deputy mayor basically said, "Oh, as we're speaking right now, I'm getting notice that another bus is heading here. The volumes are up so much that the city is basically like." scrambling at right. every moment to figure out places to put people. Did, did you say 30 North Racine? Yes. That's the former home of the Chicago Sun-Times before we moved <laughs> oh, wow. over here to Navy Pier. Really? When, when we joined with WBEZ. Yes, yeah, so that I know that building. Uh, we it, it is an old, uh, where it is an old uh, kind of industrial air, uh, big warehouse, fa old factory building on it uh, with big open spaces in it so yeah. it will be interesting to see how it's reconfigured for a migrant shelter well lynn i want to stick with you here because catholic charities has come under criticism for continuing to to send migrants here right well i saw that story and they gave uh what, what i uh, the idea of giving uh, airfare and putting people on planes to send here when there is no one on the other end to get them seems to me a malpractice of social workers, no matter their good intentions. You just don't drop people off at an airport without a plan on what to do. Uh, it seems, though, that those numbers are not very high. The main problem are the busloads of people that are coming. And at least if you come into O'Hare and you're stuck, there is a bit of an infrastructure to at least give you some uh, shelter for a few days. Maybe not great, but at least you're not left outside on a street or in a police station to go. So this is a big complicated uh, crisis with a lot of moving parts. It's just beyond uh, yeah. my knowledge as to why you would put someone on a plane and not know for sure who would meet them and take care of them on the other end. Christian, tell us about the tragedy involving migrants outside the Grand Crossing police station on the south side. Yeah, we know that migrants have been staying in police stations uh, throughout the city, which has caused a, a great deal of concern. Um, and so in this case, on Saturday, uh, there were migrants who were shot by a man, um, a 25-year-old man by the name of Anthony Evans. He's accused of doing this. 
um, and uh, shot a 28-year-old woman and a 24-year-old man outside of that police station in the 7100 block of South Cottage Grove Avenue. Um, they say he took off, uh, uh, and then uh, police uh, went. He, as he took off, he struck a police vehicle, causing even more injuries. And now um, Anthony Evans has been charged with eight felony counts, and, and it, that includes aggravated battery um, and two for aggravated uh, DUI. Um, and there's actually video of the incident that shows the gunman firing the shots at migrants on the sidewalk, many wow. with their tents that were pitched uh, outside. So, you know, this is just becoming a growing issue with migrants being at police stations and the safety issue and the health issues. Um, and then now it's gone to this violence issue. Um, yeah. you know, it's, Not it's to mention just, the weather yeah. changing soon. Yeah. 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 And I mean, that's one situation that I'm watching very closely. And the city already has a you know, a homeless problem that gets pointed out every time these protests come up, you yeah. know, and then you've got neighborhoods like in Austin, which has a violence problem right. as well. And you're trying to keep young, especially young black men off the streets and in programs where they can succeed. Now you're kind of pulling that away with um, trying to take over a field house yeah. or a park district building, you know, just causes, um, you know, people to wonder, how do you solve this problem? Well, Lynn, what are the prospects for Chicago getting more federal aid here to, to help with this? And, and I'm also curious if this issue is getting as much attention in D.C. as it is here. Well, when you talk about issues, uh, there is uh, an overwhelming amount of very crucial issues uh, overwhelming, I think, uh, Congress and the White House right now, uh, the war in Israel, mm -hmm. the war in Ukraine, the migrant issue, the lack of a Speaker of a House, and the Republican uh, members in, uh, in chaos and disarray, just to name a few of the issues, the giant issues flowing here, and each one seems to take the place of another headline as we go. So, you know, some things... Uh, Governor uh, Pritzker and Durbin Duckworth and all the Illinois Democrats, among the package of things they're asking for and have re-asked this weekend, is to have the administration uh, designate one liaison. Okay, that seems to me something that you want that, cost them nothing, you could get it. Uh, streamlining the, he, he, what, what I think the city needs from what I hear, and maybe federal help could do it, it's one thing to say you want to get people work permits, and we have streamlined in some way the process, but you have to get yourself in the system. You know, whether or not, if you're here on an asylum uh, uh, parole, uh, or you're a Venezuelan who's eligible for TPS, you have to get your paperwork in order. Yeah. An asylum seeker still has to wait 180 days to get a work permit. But you have to get yourself in the system. Mm -hmm. And this is where uh, I think the, uh, the federal government, if they could help figure out ways to help people on the ground here get you in the system, because it makes no sense to me for everybody to complain about how slow the process is if you haven't even put your name in and done the paperwork. Right. You know, so, you know, coordination, data sharing, they could do some of that. Uh, if there are places that the federal government has that could be used for uh, 
migrants to set up shops on federal properties. That's useful, too. If you're looking for more cash, don't count on it. All right, we'll take a pause here. That's Lynn Sweet of the Chicago Sun-Times, the Chicago Tribune's A.D. Quigg, and NBC5 Chicago's Christian Farr. They're going to stick around, and we hope that you will, too, because there is more news to get to. We're back now with more Reset and more of our weekly news recap. Let's jump back in. A Villa Park man is facing charges tonight accused of throwing rocks at the window of Governor Pritzker's home. A Skokie man appearing in court charged with making multiple bomb and violence threats. Palestinian Americans gathered this afternoon outside the Israeli consulate. A North Shore mother and daughter are among those missing in Israel following this weekend's surprise attack by Hamas. Our panel today is Lynn Sweet, Washington Bureau Chief for the Chicago Sun-Times, Christian Farr, reporter for NBC5 Chicago, and A.D. Quigg, uh, Cook County, and Chicago government reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Lots of Chicago's Lots in there. Lots of <laughs> All right, uh, Lynn, let's let's go to you first, because I know that you've got some uh, breaking news here from the White House as we yes. continue to watch the uh, developments here So overseas. there are 14 Americans still unaccounted for who disappeared in the course of the Hamas raids on Israel. Uh, sad to say, they're, we don't know if they're killed or kidnapped, but of those two, two women are from Evanston, Natalie uh, Renan and her mother, Judith. So today, the uh, President Biden called the, the 14 families, along with the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, the Special Envoy for Hostage Affairs, Roger Carstens, the Undersecretary of State, John Bass, and the National Security Coordinator for the Middle East, Brett McKirk. So the White House wants to, you know, as, as expected in a sense, wants to let these families know that they know of the terrible, horrific situation that they're in. Right. It's not clear yet at this stage what the United States can do to get the American hostages out. There are also hostages among those taken from who are other foreign nationals. Right. It's, it's just not clear where people are and what. Hamas wants, if anything, well, to get them out. Let's let's focus on some of these local connections uh, that you mentioned here. I know that you interviewed a North Suburban rabbi not long after that first attack uh, from Hamas. What were his thoughts? Well, actually, more than an interview, last Saturday I was at my cousin's bat mitzvah at Am Shalom in Glencoe. And uh, the rabbi there, Steve Lowenstein, had uh, been to Israel more than 100 times. And the... I don't know if everybody coming in knew it was a 9 a.m. service, but certainly I knew what was going on and the rabbi did. And so I picked up on what he was saying during the service when he talked about uh, a bit of what was going on. And then I, I talked to him afterwards. And the the point is that was before the whole scope of the horrific uh, situation took place. We didn't know then about the massacre of some 200 at the music festival or that even two women from Evanston down the road from Glencoe were taken. And so I did a column on uh, the thoughts at the time, obviously the press for peace and the difficulty and the shock of knowing what was going on in the state of Israel in in an explosive uh, situation. Governor Pritzker also voiced solidarity with Israel at a rally on Tuesday at North Shore Congregation Israel. Let's listen. 
We are here at a synagogue where anger seems so unwelcome. But how can we help ourselves? To anyone who thinks otherwise, let me be clear. There are many peace-loving Palestinians and we must honor them, but Hamas? Hamas is a terrorist organization, an army of murderers backed by Iran. The governor said Illinois state police are on alert for synagogues and gathering places for Jewish people, although he said that no immediate threat has been detected. So while hundreds attended that North Shore rally in support of Israel on Tuesday, thousands marched through the loop on Wednesday. This was in support of Palestinians. Now, city council is taking up the issue today, A.D. What, what, what's happening? So Alderwoman Deborah Silverstein, she's the council's only Jewish member, introduced a resolution declaring solidarity with Israel after Saturday's attacks. Uh, we had originally thought this would come up during Wednesday's back-to-back council meeting, same day as budget, when a lot was already going on. But it got punted, essentially, to today because of some concerns over Open Meetings Act violations. So as soon as this show wraps, I'm on my way to council. That hearing starts at 1.40. Okay. Um, the biggest pushback to this resolution came from Alderwoman Rosana Rodriguez-Sanchez, who said that while she agreed that the attacks from Hamas were brutal, the situation had more nuance than what the resolution expressed and should, quote, center the humanity of Palestinians who are confined to an open-air prison and whose lands have been occupied for decades. End quote. So Rod- Rodriguez Sanchez is a committee chair. She's also got backup on her sentiments from uh, the floor leader for Mayor Brandon Johnson, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who was tweeting about justice and human rights for all and used the hashtags free Palestine and end Israel apartheid. So Silverstein and and uh, Alderwoman Rodriguez Sanchez had kind of a back and forth about amending this resolution. Silverstein mm-hmm. said no. Um, Silverstein shared these emails that she had with uh, the other Alderwoman and said, quote, drawing drawing a moral equivalency between one of the most one of the worst acts of terror in world history and Israel's legitimate right to defend itself is absurd. Um, It's unclear at this moment what will happen today at this hearing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson opened his news conference on Wednesday after kind of the kerfuffle about whether we would have a hearing on Wednesday, called for a moment of silence for every innocent life lost in the conflict. He condemned Hamas for attacking and killing innocent Israeli civilians and firing into crowds of innocent people at that music festival. Uh, But he did not address whether the resolution should be tweaked Mm -hmm. to reflect uh, the oppression violence that Palestinians had endured at the hands of Israel. So this is from sounds like uh, uh, Rodriguez Sanchez was trying to get some more inclusion here on Mm -hmm. on this resolution. Right. Mm -hmm. Not not just to center Palestinians, but to also center them. Correct. Correct. Uh, Second Ward Alderman Brian Hopkins wanted the meeting to have special restrictions. Yes, he is worried about security, essentially. Um, So he wanted this. He wanted public participation at this meeting to be remote. Um, I don't I'm not sure if that's what's going to happen today. Um, The other person who's going to be remote today is Alderwoman Sanchez. She she was previously scheduled to um, attend a a policing event up in Milwaukee. So she'll be tuned in remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we're going to have to see what happens at 140. What did Mayor Johnson have to say about silencing public comments? He Well, he is like very big at every turn about welcoming as much um, public comment as possible. We've had like some very, very rowdy city council meetings since he took office. Um, folks screaming in, in the gallery. He's asked them to to politely be quiet and mm-hmm. listen to public commenters. But he's like, this is an open forum. We're going to treat it as such. And we're going to make sure that everyone acts respectfully, but we will let people comment. 
Yeah. Lynn, tell us more about what uh, Illinois senators and, and representatives in D.C. are saying about this growing humanitarian crisis that's happening over in Gaza right now and uh, Israel's retaliatory airstrikes. Well, uh, from President Biden on now, the Democrats, in uh, if you're talking about uh, the senators, uh, are supporting what Israel is doing right now. But there are schisms developing. Now, what you see in city council will eventually be mirrored uh, perhaps among uh, some Democrats nationally. And it is something that I hope people just stop and think about what happened and why. And when, uh, A.D., you use the term moral equivalency. Think about that this latest episode in a long-running conflict uh, was triggered by uh, a massacre taking civilians, children, babies, and seniors. This was not a conflict of uh, where a military target targets another military. This is uh, something that is done. You know, the United States does call Hamas a, a terrorist organization. So the, uh, the thing that is interesting in Washington is how former President Donald Trump for so long positioned himself as the, as the strongest backer of Israel, trying to plant seeds of doubt mm-hmm. with uh, the American Jewish community and to reinforce himself with the evangelical Christian community. But now that there truly is a crisis of historic proportions of which something that Israel has never mm-hmm. faced before to this degree, it is Trump who has been distancing himself from Netanyahu and criticizing him, and Biden, who has put aside the differences he's had with the Israeli leader and has said that he will back him. Uh, I, I just know this is a very difficult road ahead and that people educate themselves. There's plenty of resources here to understand what is going on and why at this particular snapshot in time. Yeah. Christian, are you surprised at all by what you know, presidential candidates and, and other public officials are saying? No, not not really. I mean, th- this is a long-standing issue, right? And then now we have this huge explosion that that happens, and now all eyes are are on this. And there's, you know, I, and I heard that at city council there were were people yelling in the gallery, "Free Palestine!" and right. and so you know. Um, and I think it's an even difficult conversation in newsrooms as well. How do you cover this and balance it in such a way as to understand that a massacre did happen um, and that uh, there is this whole discussion about Israel and Palestine, and but then you've got Hamas and then there are people who are not separating the two. It's definitely a, a, a terrorist organization. People should know that and people should understand that. But I think that uh, we have to study the history and truly understand the conflict that is going on, but um, it's just, it, I'm, I, I don't know if this even came up, um, but uh, I guess Chicago BLM, Black Lives Matter, the, mm-hmm. the post that they put out was head scratching. You know, the man parasailing down free Palestine in, 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 as one of their posts, 
and you you know you scratch your head and you go, oh my gosh, you know we had a massacre here. Is this the moment where we're supposed to do this? You know, and I think that that's the you know one of the big questions. And well, that hold on, that is not a question. No, that no. is a, that is that is something that should just be condemned. To celebrate, to celebrate somebody who has taken part in a right. massacre, in, for whatever. Yeah, the reason here is is just not a question mark. It is to be condemned, and for a movement that has worked so hard to educate and tell so many people about many important issues, to kind of just uh, put out that kind of uh, tweet, it's it's the height of of uh, it, it just should be condemned. And now but, that you, but is it Lynn? Is it? I haven't seen it being condemned as much as... Well, I I mean, there's a lot going on here mm-hmm. to keep track of. Uh, but since you brought it up, I mm-hmm. I, I, th- I didn't want it just to leave it as a question mark because there, it, this is... Yeah. This is something that clearly is uh, just out of the, out of the, uh, out of the realm of how you conduct yourself in the wake mm-hmm. of what's happening to celebrate Right. Uh, terrorists is just not something. Yeah. Lots of lots of folks having this do. this conversation, lots of tension being felt uh, across so. the country right now. Yes. As you mentioned earlier, the House of Representatives is without a leader. Uh, I'd love an update on that, as well as the fact that um, we're still without a U.S. attorney. Well, let me take the U.S. attorney first. So a woman named April Perry uh, is in line, has to be confirmed to be the next U.S. attorney. Uh, so she cannot get a vote on the floor of the Senate. Dick Durbin, the senator, who's also the chairman of the of the Senate Judiciary Committee, has tried four times to get an immediate vote for her. The senator who is holding this up is the Ohio junior senator, J.D. Vance. Many of our listeners may know of him mainly as the writer of Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, so he has had shifting reasons for holding up uh, this nomination of April Perry and a woman who also would be a U.S. attorney in Cleveland, his home state, mm-hmm. uh, a nomination he supported. Uh, this this movement to block what started these U.S. attorney confirmations started out with four. He relented eventually with two. The first explanation is, I don't want to uh, uh, let the Senate quickly approve these four, because I'm protesting the Justice Department going after former President Donald Trump. Well, you can't negotiate over that one. Uh, and, and by the way, so our listeners know, senators do have the power to put a hold on an immediate uh, vote to confirm somebody. Uh, technique, a parliamentary technique that is often used in the Senate because to have individual votes takes a lot of time. Uh, you might be thinking of some of our listeners of the blanket hold Republican Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville has on more than 300 military promotions. Right. Routine things. Anyway, so excuse number one was uh, the Justice Department uh, needs to be ground to a halt. Then he said that, and this is on the Senate floor, well, I'm not the only one that has problems with April Perry. He mentioned that he didn't like her association with Kim Fox during the Justin uh, Smollett uh, case. of uh, Jesse Smollett. Who did I? Jesse. 
Oh, thank you for correcting me. Okay, and then, so so one, it's to protest Trump's yeah, being prosecuted. Then it's uh, Smollett. And then he says, I'm not the only one that has a hold. There are others. But as Dick Durbin said from the Senate floor, there are no others. Mm-hmm. So I expect uh, Durbin to make a fifth attempt. Right now, Durbin, a few days ago, had knee surgery. He has a knee replacement, he said, from his uh, football playing days in high school. Bad he wasn't a great player, he said. So he's he's out of commission at least in the last few days. Oh boy. But, but I expect, you know, this could go on quite a long time. Oh, boy. Well, we'll have to have you back for the uh, for, for, for the results. Uh, A.D., let's let's switch gears here uh, quick on a story about the arrest of a uh, suburban man uh, who's a resident of Villa Park. He's been charged with vandalizing the governor's Gold Coast home. Yeah, he was accused of stalking the governor, throwing rocks at the house, uh, causing about $8,000 in damage. The governor and his wife were both home, but unharmed. Um, he was charged I mean, with How stalk- big were these rocks? Baseball-sized. Wow. So big rocks. Um, a, a, basically, a woman saw him, a woman on the street saw him and called it in, and there was pod camera footage from nearby that caught him on camera. Um, he was released on electronic monitoring, uh, though there was a request to hold him, um, given the target <laughs> and 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 the stocking charge essentially right um but he he was let out uh sometimes had an interesting story about this based on like how how sentencing and bail has changed as a result of the safety act which the governor uh supported mm-hmm. and how like under prior circumstances this guy might have been held um but he this man had also been previously recorded throwing letters basically ac- across the fence to the governor's house, essentially stalking him. This so he is, started with letters. Started with letters, moved on to rocks. To and rocks. this is, you know, uh, we've seen uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot targeted. Uh, there was a man accused of stalking her, bringing a gun to her home as well. Uh, it seems Scary to be a stuff. dangerous time for elected officials here. Yeah, and Christian, just fill us in before we take a pause here. Another suburban man, this one in Skokie, has been charged in connection to several bomb threats. Yeah, that's Jacob Spiro of Skokie. He was arrested on Monday by Niles Police. Um, for making numerous bomb threats to public libraries, businesses, suburban governments, and at least one police station. So causing a great deal of havoc. And this was a task force uh, put together. Uh, Niles was involved in this. I believe the FBI was also involved. Will Met, Morton Grove, Skokie, Northbrook, and Glenview um, in identifying this suspect um, because these businesses had to close when this happened. Um, and uh, a number of previous other organizations had also received bomb threats um, as well. Twelve um, occurred in Morton Grove um, alone, which also included the library as well. And so we've we've heard about these threats that have been going on at school districts and up in Highland Park and all over the place. And so it's been um, a huge issue for uh, a number of weeks. Yeah. All right. Just a few more stories to cover. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just joining us, it's our weekly news recap, and there is more news to cover. Our panel, Lynn Sweet, Washington Bureau Chief for the Chicago Sun-Times, Christian Farr, reporter for NBC5 Chicago, and A.D. Quick, Cook County and Chicago government reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Christian, beautiful day last Sunday for a marathon, wouldn't you say? It was. I mean, from what I understand, perfect running weather. I don't mm-hmm. run. I'm yeah, sorry. So, and I don't do 26.2 no, either. Perfect. But, but yeah. I, my hat goes off to the people who do. Give us highlights of, of the day. Yeah, we, we had some uh, world records that were broken um, in the men's 
uh, side and also on the woman's side as well uh, broke the, I believe, the record um, for the course, the course record, mm -hmm. and also ended up beating the two-time defending champion as well. Uh, interesting part was that we had the millionth uh, runner for the whole um, history, nearly 50-year history of the marathon, um, and she's actually from Evanston, not far from where I live. Cool. Um, and she crossed the finish line as the millionth, um, as millionth runner for the entire marathon wow. and was able to go to the champions, um, dinner. So she was there amongst all of the world record breakers. That's awesome. Um, and she was a, a Northwestern D1 runner, but had never run uh, a marathon. This was her first marathon. Her husband actually was part of the inspiration. He says, not really. She was a <laughs> deep one runner at Northwestern. Um, but, you know, all the runners that, that were out there um, said that it was great weather. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be um, getting better and better each year. Um, yeah, as it attracted 47,000 runners. So, it I mean, it's something something good was, it was happening down there. Yes. I'm going to stick with you, Christian, because uh, you, you mentioned Northwestern. Let's get into it. It's uh, it's planned for a new stadium, encountered some resistance this week. Yeah, Northwestern has not had the best headlines, right, in the past uh, couple of months. And so what happened um, on Wednesday is that the uh, city commission in Evanston voted against the plan for now to bring concerts and other money-making events to that new football stadium that they want to build. They want to build that new stadium. It's going to be smaller, um, have less seats, but they also want to be able to do concerts as well. At one point, they had suggested 15 concerts, but I think it's down up to six a year. But there's a lot of pushback, especially because that stadium sits right there uh, near the border of Wilmette. And so Wilmette mm -hmm. residents don't want that um, in terms of the concert sound and things of that nature. But, um, you know, Northwestern's still dealing with this hazing scandal. Yeah. And not just for the football team, but, you know, baseball issues, this cheerleader lawsuit that happened uh, back in 2019. This isn't going away That for is a while. not going away since, the, since a judge recently pushed that forward. Um, adding sex trafficking into that one. So, you know, the headline for Northwestern is not going so well. But Northwestern is going to continue to push forward and see if they can make this happen because they believe that's going to be a moneymaker to support those millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to rebuild that stadium. Uh, we hear a lot about residents leaving Illinois. Mm -hmm. I've certainly been hearing. I, mm -hmm. I got here in uh, 2021 and people are like, oh, well, people are leaving. Why are you here? Uh, apparently, though, the state's population is holding steady, A.D. What, yeah. what are some of the findings in a new uh, UIC study? Like you, so much of my coverage in like the 20 teens was like Illinois. Everyone's Everyone leaving. Is Everyone leaving. is leaving. No one's staying. We're all going to the Rust Belt. Um Actually, things aren't so bad. Uh, Illinois is becoming less rural, though, mm -hmm. more educated, more foreign-born, and higher paid. So we're seeing uh, a larger wealth gap in the state, but the, the exodus is not as bad as anticipated. Um, so we had a net loss of 460,000 residents going to other states. It was largely offset by incoming immigrants. Um, so this... The theory of like Illinois being pushing people out because of high taxes and crime and other factors is yeah. not all it was cracked up to be. Well, that's some good news. That's I appreciate news. it. Well, uh, some sad news. I want to leave us with this, but uh, local legend and broadcast news is signing off. We just mm. heard the news that after 45 years as the WGN weatherman, Tom Skilling announced that he's retiring in February. I mean, 
his enthusiastic and, and reliable forecasting. I mean, that'll be missed, right? Big time. Yeah. Huge time. He's yeah. like my number one. If there's ever a bad storm happening, he's like in his he's element. He, he's so good. He's got his own blanket. I mean, come on, Tom Skilling. <laughs> I mean, this is the, yeah. he was at my wedding, so I'm very happy about that. You know? Yeah. But uh, a great guy. Uh, fantastic. And, uh, you know, he's he's put in these years, 40 you know what, 45? 45. 40, 45 45 years. And we, and get him, we get him till February. Yes, so yeah. it's, it's a good celebration time, you know. Shout out to Tom. Uh, well, that is all the news that we could fit in this week. My thanks to Christian Farr from NBC5 Chicago, Lynn Sweet, Washington Bureau Chief for the Chicago Sun-Times, and A.D. Quigg from the Chicago Tribune. Thank you all. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is it for Reset. The show is produced by Meha Ahmed, Linnea Dominic, Brenda Ruiz, Micah Yason, Claire Hyman, Andrea Guthman, Landon Jones, and Max Lubers. Dan Tucker's our executive producer, and Ethan Schwab is our engineer. 